0: How many of you here were were here Monday night? Wow. If you weren't, you gotta go you gotta go look at you gotta go look at the video. It was just a, it was an amazing night. High watermark for that event. So thanks for being there. We're gonna do it again next year. Amen. It's great. T- unlikely. Talking about this time of the year as we begin to consider the gospel narrative. That it's always, it's, it's, it's set in the most unlikely time, the un, most unlikely place, and with the most unlikely people that one could imagine. And these are always the backdrops whereby which God loves to step into a situation. He loves to step in to the unlikelies. Certainly nothing can happen good with his people. Certainly nothing's going to happen decent with this nation. Look around. It's a mess. God, come get it. I remember years ago as, you know, kind of a, a little, little meaner, prophetic junkyard dog, Micaiah kind of guy and praying about our nation and looking around at the condition and you didn't have, you don't have to be much of a prophet to find something wrong. Come on, folks. I mean, that doesn't take much revelation to figure out, you know, God did not like this much. And I remember praying and said, God, certainly you can't do anything here, but judge it. Come get us. And God said, your kids live here, fool. Now, God didn't call me fool, but he reminded me that that was probably a foolish way to pray is to call down judgment on a place where you live. Are you with me here? And yet it's in the most unlikely settings that God loves to manifest himself. I don't know about you, but as I look back at at my own life, in those moments that I was convinced, all right, God, I'm well-poised, I've read my Bible this month, you know, I'm doing all these rights. Certainly, God, now you're going to do something. And God just kind of... You with me? Years ago, I tried an experiment. And this was many years ago. But I just stopped tithing. I mean, you know, come on. It's just like, I'll just stop breathing for a while, see what happens, all right? So I just decided to stop tithing. And it was an amazing thing is that for months, nothing, it was was like, God is like, okay, cool, stop. I mean, nothing, nothing changed, nothing fell apart. You know, that the, my, my family income didn't change any. And then after about six months, finally God just, you know, and I, and I thought, well, certainly this is unlikely God would continue to bless my finances. And so for six months, he didn't. I mean, he just, just everything was fine. After that period of time, God said, enough of this foolishness. All right, I'm going to show you that this thing does work. And then it all fell apart. Are you with me? And so let me say to you that you may find yourself in this moment of your life in maybe one of the most unlikelies. Let me just tell you, that is an engraved invitation for God to step in. Right there. This is what God many times is looking for. Last week we read James 2, 5. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Don't think, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise, not many were influential or of noble birth, et cetera, et cetera. And so God loves these particular moments. And last week we looked at the unlikely time and season where God might come and do a thing. Galatians chapter four says in the fullness of time, the fullness of time, which means that something was complete where God said, okay, now. I don't know about you, but God rarely moves in my fullness of time because my fullness of time is always right now. Why? Because I have the attention span of a gnat. That's why. And most of us, that's about it. I mean, we, once again, we live, you know, in the rapid Internet, microwave, got to have it, Wikipedia, Google it. I mean, we want to know now. I mean, in the old school days, you wanted to find something, you had to go to the library. Remember that? Amazing. Or you had to get back to, you, you had to go all the way back to your home where the phone resided. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's just like, huh? Amazing. And yet somehow commerce happened and people communicate, but it was an amazing thing. It just took longer. But now we live where everything is moving so much faster. Everything is so much more truncated. And as a result, we live in a moment, I believe that that has necessarily affected our faith and our understanding of the timing of God. Because we always think that God is somehow late, somehow delayed. And we define fullness of time in a very different way than God defines it. Daniel says that he is the one that changes what? Times, and seasons. He makes a determination, not you, the times and season of your life. My wife and I have the, the privilege of, of having relationship with a number of folk that are single in this church and uh, in, in other churches and literally around the world, some folk that we disciple. And it's an amazing thing the commonality as we talk to folk who are still in that process of of seeing the desires of their heart met to have a spouse. And it's, it's, a, it's a consistent desire. Scripture says that if a man desires a wife, he desires a what? A, a good thing. There's nothing wrong with a desire. And yet how many of you know that there is a fullness of time and when we try to circumvent that process and we put our own stuff in it, come on, we begin to help God out with timing Invariably, it doesn't turn out real well. Anybody have any harsh experience from that? Please do not answer publicly in this setting. All right. But tonight, I want to shift from unlikely time to unlikely place. John, the first chapter, beginning in verse 43, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee and finding Philip, he said, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked and Philip said, come and see. One commentator said this, The character of Nazareth was proverbially bad. To be a Galilean or a Nazarene was an expression of decided contempt. Nathanael asked, therefore, whether it was possible that the Messiah should come from such a place proverbially, proverbially wicked. And this was A mode of judging in the case not uncommon that it's not just by examining evidence, but many times it's by prejudice. Unquote. Can't nothing good come out of there. Nothing. I mean, you think about certain places where you think there's no way in the world that anything can come out of that place. New Jersey. No, I got it. I got I I got it. I got it. All right. There's some other places. Rocky Mount, North Carolina. I got it. okay. There are lot lots of places. Can any good thing come out of there? Now I always say New Jersey because I've 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 heard about the Sopranos, all right? I never saw it, of course, but I heard about it. Um, um I have flown through Newark. I've tried to fly through Newark. Let me let me let me clarify that because it's very important. That one doesn't really fly through Newark. They, they tend to stay there longer than they had intended to be there. You, you understand what I'm... But you think about certain places and it's just like, huh? You, 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 really? They're from where? They're from, they're from what part of D.C.? And you think about it. Oh, they're from Baltimore? Can any good thing... Pop- Can any, I'm I'm just offending everybody here tonight. My son, by the way, is engaged to be married. To a wonderful girl from Baltimore. Moving on. But we look and we would see something come out of that environment. We say, no way. There's no way in the world from that trailer park, there's nowhere in the world. And if you're from that, I'm... A trailer is where you lived. While you were living in it, it was considered a mobile home. So it's just nomenclature of what? Never mind. And whether born from evidence or history, prejudice or preference... We often declare Ichabod, the glory has departed before God has moved on or moved in a given situation. And if we juxtapose first century Palestine with 21st century U.S., we find a number of amazing similarities of how in the world could God possibly do anything in the midst of this particular setting. Let's talk about first century Palestine for a moment. Politically, thousands of years, Jewish people primarily subject to foreign rule. Egyptians, Syrian, Babylonian, et cetera, and so forth. Just brief periods of independence. And in the first century, it happened to be Rome, who ruled the Mediterranean area known as Palestine, where Jesus came from, what we now know as Israel. And in the hierarchy of power, In the Jewish government system, there were a number of stratas of government. You had a local Roman government. In this case, in this particular moment, it was Herod. But that local government came under a larger, if you wish, federal government, which was ruled by the Caesar. In this case, Augustus. And not unlike hierarchies of government, you think about it today. You know, we have local governments. We have state government. We have federal government. And we have ecclesiastical government, church government. And one of the big questions, if you remember, they came to Jesus because, now understand, the Jews didn't care for Rome much. And we'll talk more about why in just a moment. But the issue of taxation came up. Because one of the issues was that you could not even... You, you could not even take a graven image of a Caesar in order to make a tithe and offering with it. You had, there had to be an exchange that an acceptable sacrifice had to be made. This was done outside the temple. And so understand they're coming to say, what about this taxes thing? I mean, are we really subject to the taxation of Rome? And Jesus understood that this was a bit of a trick, but what? And Jesus had this extraordinarily wise... Response, And he said, what? Render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but render unto God what belongs to God. So in that moment, he was not overthrowing the responsibility, if you wish, of those belonging to God, Israel, the church. He was not overthrowing their responsibility to both the temple to continue to give tithes and offerings and back to Rome. And so we see these, but the question about how government works, it goes back a, a long way. We find that the Roman government was very open to different religious systems and ideologies. It's called syncretism, And this was practiced when it was one of the first one country, two system policies that all people had religious freedom, political freedom, and freedom of thought, yet Rome maintaining control way up here. Sounds a lot like what we have today, at least on paper, does it not? As I mentioned, Jews had tremendous distrust and often hatred for Rome as they were unwilling subjects. And at the time of Jesus' birth, they had good reason not to to have this distrust. King Herod, as you remember, he had issued an edict that all male children were to be what? Were to be murdered. He had also placed forbidden idols within the Jewish temple. So we see right here, government intrusion on worship. And Caesar was much more, though, in this case than just an elected official or a political governmental figure ahead. This is very interesting, but Caesar Augustus was called the son of God, who was the great Savior of the whole earth by bringing peace to Rome. And as a matter of fact, the announcement of this was literally heralded as once again good news. It's so interesting that even the verbiage of Gabriel coming to visit Mary, it completely undermines the very terminology by which Caesar was being referred to. It's fascinating. Gabriel pronounced the child the son of God, the same one that Augustus had claimed for himself. The birth of Augustus is correlated with the beginning of a new era. Again, good news for the whole world. He's depicted as having been born and therefore as human, but also in some mysterious way, he is simultaneously divine. Who being sent to us and our descendants as Savior has put an end to war and has set all things in order. He's referred to literally as Savior. The great source of peace because he's the one who put an end to war. But it's fascinating of the angelic proclamation using the very same words. These were not just words that were chosen. These were words... That were chosen by God to be proclaimed through Gabriel to be a direct challenge and refutation to Caesar's own proclamations about himself. The angel said, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you what? Good news. There's that word. The same good news that this Caesar was supposed to bring. Born this day in the city of David, a what? A savior. Again, robbing another term that this Caesar had reserved for himself, Messiah the Lord. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying glory to God in the highest heaven and what? On earth, peace. The thing that Caesar had promised is the very thing that Gabriel came and said, no, 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 it's not this Caesar, it's this baby that's being born right here, and he's stealing all your thunder. And we wonder why Herod through Caesar, or Caesar through Herod, got so excited about these male babies. It's like somebody else is making claim to all of this that I have proclaimed myself to be for this nation. Commentator says this, It says this baby that was born into the system of oppression created by Rome, what was supposed to be true of Caesar, it turns out is actually true of Jesus. The true Savior, the qualities that were given to the Roman emperor have turned out to be a cheap imitation. And like having used this language to describe the birth of Jesus, puts him in political opposition to the emperor. Interesting. Interesting. So what was the economic place where they found themselves in this particular moment? Herod had a lot of folk working for him, a lot of public works projects. But there was a huge disparity. Talk about the 1%. There was a huge disparity in this moment between the rich and poor. Upper class was made up mostly of temple priests and priestly aristocracy. But understand that this taxation largely went back to Rome so that Rome could enjoy a standard of living, but it was being done on the backs of the middle and the lower class of folk. Any of this sound remotely familiar? This is the place, this is is the setting. This is, this is the fullness of time that God says, I'm going to have this Messiah born into this place under this Caesar. In this system of how we see things are supposed to work. The status of women. Slavery. All of these things that were so part of the culture in that moment. It was in the fullness of time that Jesus stepped. Now is the time that we're going to address some of this. And yes, I'm going to start with an angelic proclamation that's going to challenge the Caesar. I love this. I understand that Jews were found in a particularly tough place because not only were they subject to Roman taxation, but they were also simultaneously giving tithes and offerings back to the temple. I mean, you, you think many times people look at tithe and say, oh, I can't tithe. You know, I, 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 you don't understand, I pay taxes. And by the time I pay the church tax, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen, the tithe is not the church tax. Right. Don't get me wrong here, all right? And I'm not telling you not to pay your federal and state taxes, Not saying that either, but understand that you've got lower and and, and middle class folk of very modest means that are being taxed heavily by Rome, and they're still tithing to the temple based on the law. So you can see the economic disparity that in this particular moment gets created. And yet, this is the fullness of time, it's in the midst of all of this social turmoil. This place in history. So we consider the place in which we find ourselves and we wonder "Can can God really do anything here? And here being this world in this moment here being this nation maybe here being even in your family is it possible in this place as unlikely as it might be that God might come and show up. And I'll give you three places that we might be finding ourselves in this particular moment. Maybe you find yourself in a place of obscurity and relative humility. And by humility, I'm not talking about necessarily a character attribute now, but I'm talking of humble means. I have no visibility, Pastor. You don't understand. I don't, I don't really feel like I've got a five-talent anything in terms of my spiritual gift mix. I really don't, I really don't have tremendous financial resources that, that I can sow into missions or the Generations Campaign or whatever it might be. I'm of humble means. Maybe you, maybe you feel like that's where you are. The prophet Samuel coming to Saul prior to becoming king and was telling Saul, this is is what God's getting ready to do with you. And Saul answered, am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe? Is not my clan the least of all the clans? Why do you say such a thing to me? And we know, of course, Saul went nuts. Not a great king. It's what the folk asked for. That's what they got. Be careful what you ask for, by the way. But Saul recognized of all the folk that you could go get. I mean, look at where I'm from. Smallest tribe, smallest clan. Certainly you would choose a, a bigger place, a larger platform, Boston, New York. Somewhere larger that's got more notoriety, more opportunity, greater education. Certainly, this this is not going to work. Nathaniel's question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? A bunch of hicks over there. They're 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 uneducated. They're not sophisticated like we are. How in the world am I going to follow a Messiah from that place? Okay. Maybe you find yourself in a place of obscurity. Maybe you even find yourself tonight in a place of hostility. Ancient Palestine was a hostile place to God's chosen. If you think about it, not unlike today. (laughs) This summer, I spoke a series of messages. That I hope people heard with a little revelational tent on them. But one of them was we're not in Kansas anymore. And so many times God will has dealt with and He has pastored and pastured His people in places that seem very unlikely that He would do it. God remembers us in those places. Have you ever felt you've just been dropped off and God forgot where he dropped you off? And you're wondering, is, is the Uber guy coming? I mean, is, is, has the bus stopped running? What have I missed here? And we feel like we've been just dropped off. And it's one thing to be dropped off in an obscure place. It's another thing to be dropped off in a hostile place. And you don't have a carry permit. And you're looking around and it's like, this is not where I want to be in this particular moment. I mean, you know, there are folks in D.C., places in D.C. You just don't want to be there after certain times of day or maybe any time of the day. And every community has some spots like that. and how many times god's people find themselves in places of relative hostility as i mentioned this summer i don't think there's any question that we now live in a post christian era that ship has sailed the real question for us now as the church is what do we do in a post christian era and please hear me i'm not declaring god has departed The glory has departed from our nation. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that in the era in which we live, we live in an unlikely place at an unlikely time that one would think God would be happy to show up in the midst of. Remember my earlier statement from this evening. That is the engraved invitation that God is often waiting for is for a culture to come to the very end of itself. All of its machinations, all of the think tank guys, the end of the philosopher's wisdom, the politician savvy, that we get to the very end and God says, have you messed it up enough now? Have you thoroughly broken it? Are you done? And finally, when we step off and we say, yeah, it's busted. and that moment, God says, Okay. And then God will step into that. Why? Because God doesn't share his glory with anybody. God doesn't want us to say, ah, you know, we got that president or we got that elected official, we got that pastor, we got that employer, we got that whatever we got, and it's because of them. No, no, no. It's always because of God. Because of whoever you think them is, you eventually got to get back to God anyway because he put them there. Now, you might not like them. That's fine. But that's not what Scripture says in terms of how we're to relate to them. I'm sorry, but the Jews didn't care much for Caesar either. And yet Jesus was very specific in terms of what the response was to be to those in authority. And yet the promise God said he would never leave us. Talk about last words. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And even in the midst many times of hostility around us, God is still there. From that message this summer, we we saw from Jeremiah 29, as God had led his people into Babylon for a period of 70 years, a generation, God was still there among those people in the midst of that hostile place. And had given them very specific things to do and a way to live while they were there. So they weren't just waiting to be moved off into the next place. Even in places of hostility, God still gives us instructions, and God still shows up. Maybe even places of isolation. You know, it's interesting that how difficult this time of the year is for so many people. I mean, you've heard the statistics, the number of people that take their lives, the depression that always sends to, that that tends to come to many, not always, but comes to many people this time of the year. Why? Many times it's because of what? The isolation that they feel around their life. The disconnect that they feel from friends or family, or maybe even from God. But it's in these moments of isolation, it's in, if you wish, the desert, that many times God makes himself known in ways that are unmistakably God. You see, we always look at the desert as a place of, I don't want to be there. Baby, I like the oasis, I like the water to be flowing. Fruit, milk, honey. I mean, I, these are the pictures we like, but, you know, the idea of desert. No, no, no. There's nothing but sand there. There's not enough water. There's no, there's no McDonald's. There's nothing out here. This is not a place where I want to be. And yet, in the placement of God, there are times that God himself will take us into the desert. And you need to know many times that the desert that you might be experiencing in your life, it could very well be divine placement that God has you there for a reason. And it's not necessarily because you're being punished. So many times we deal with hardship with the mentality of punishment. Come on. We learn a lot of things in the church. But one of the things that we don't learn well I'm afraid in our Western culture, we have not learned about hardship and suffering much because there's not much around us that dictates hardship and suffering. I mean, for us, suffering is being six cars back at Mickey D's. We think that's suffering. Or somehow they ran out of pumpkin spice latte at Thanksgiving at Starbucks. I mean, it's, oh, my God. The world's going to an end. God hates me. I mean, that's definitely first world problems, folks. But the desert. It's a place of preparation. Jesus, Matthew 4, led by the Spirit into the desert. What was that? That Jesus had to be tested? How do you test God? And yet, as part of his humanity... All of the things that he was tested with, that we are tempted and tested with, Jesus passed every one of those tests. But it was preparation for his release into public ministry. Because you read after the testing, Jesus immediately, as he left the desert, he began to preach. The desert is a place of provision. Talked about this recently from the pulpit. We see this provision of Elijah in the desert. Angelic meals that God prepared. The first meal of restoration, restoring him, dealing with his past. A second meal of preparation, of destination that he ate. And based on that food, it says he journeyed 40 more days to Mount Horeb two meals that we have to eat this provision many times in the place where God puts us but it seems so unlikely that God would do it this same prophet in 1st kings 17 as he declared no more water on this land until I speak only one problem he lived there and so as a result of the edict that he himself prophesied to that apostate leader in that apostate nation At some point, guess what? The prophet ran out of water. The raven that had been feeding him stopped coming. But God had another miracle in that moment. He had placed him in a spot where not only was there going to be a blessing for the prophet, but a blessing for the widow and her son where God was sending them. And then there's protection. Matthew the 2nd chapter we've already read about Herod the challenge to the pharaoh as all of these titles were given to the Caesar and they knew they had to flee because there was danger Matthew chapter 2, when they gone, the angel appeared to Joseph, says, get up and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Let me just tell you, if, if, if you're a Jew, Egypt's not where you want to escape to. I mean, that would be like God coming to you and saying, I want you to escape to Syria or go escape to Iran. I mean, let's go escape to somewhere that you don't necessarily have a warm and fuzzy past and probably not a very happy future. Take the child and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod's going to search for him to kill him. He got up, took the child and his mother during the night, left for Egypt, and he stayed there until the death of Herod. So was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. And then he returned to Nazareth. Verse 19. After Herod died, an angel came back and appeared in a dream to Joseph while he was in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Talk about being led. You know, God has begun speaking to me. And on the 1st of January of this year, I'm going to speak my annual, quote, prophetic message looking at the year ahead. But I'll give you a preview. One of the things that's going to be necessary in this coming year is, that, is the proximity by which we follow God has to become closer. But because of the, of the rapid and the necessary course corrections that are going to be required in this next season, hear me carefully, the proximity by which we begin to follow and hear from the Holy Spirit, some of us have been following it quite a distance. But the reality is when the fog begins to come in unless you get closer you lose sight of the taillights in front of you. And somewhere we've got to close that gap. It's got to begin to happen. Personally and corporately. That following God by precept and principle it's a wonderful thing but God talks us to, he wants us to be led by the spirit. And here what we see with this daddy he is listening to God. It's time to go. This is a dangerous place. And when that danger had lifted, he said, Now I need you to go back. And yet, like Jesus appearing on this earth, many times we find ourselves in one or multiple of these places at one time. Maybe a place of obscurity, maybe a place of hostility. Maybe even a place of isolation. And we all know the emotions that are associated with and attached to these things. And yet, it's in these places, these unlikely places. And places that, quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, we would not choose for ourselves as an address. This is not where I want to live i got to tell you, my wife and I have been on a journey with God together, and God has so tricked me so many times. (laughs) It's the best way I know how to put it. He's just flat tricked me, Garrison. I've told this story, but I'll retell it in in, in this moment. But back in 1990, praying to God, oh, God, my finances, oh, God, I need you to move. I need. And this God says, you really want me? Yes, God, do it. Place me. God says, okay. So God moved us into a neighborhood with crime tape at the end of the block and a drug dealer across the street, a busted house with open sewer underneath that was 80 years old and should be burned to the ground. And God said, here you go. Here's divine placement, baby. And I'm like, uh uh-uh. No. I rebuke you, Satan. Get thee behind me. This place is busted. It stinketh. I was quoting scripture by that time. It stinketh. I mean, there is no way in the world that you would have me move me and mine and my precious children's and the wife of my youth in this crime-ridden neighborhood. This cannot be your placement. Certainly there's nothing of you that's here. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. And yes, that was home for the next 10 years. What I thought was going to be a momentary rental. You ever been in one of these kind of... Oh, God, you're just going to get me in and out of this. Okay, I can put up with anything for a moment. It's kind of like moving into a nasty hotel room. I can deal with anything for a moment. And God says, no, let's live here for a while. Let's move in. Unpack the boxes. Hang the pictures. Call it home. Change your driver's license. And I thought, there is no way. There is no way in this place of hostility. I mean, the police are doing surveillance in my backyard from across the street. My backyard. I'm not kidding. And I'm like, there's no way in the world, God, that you can move in this place. And yet it was in that place. I can't begin to tell you and unpack for you how God showed up at the most unlikely address of 510 Jefferson Street. This was not a place that should have been safe. Trust me. I mean, when you move in and you drive past the crime tape, literally, what happened there? Oh, domestic abuse. Boyfriend murdered his girlfriend with a kitchen knife. Lovely. I'm moving my children here. And folk would ask me, where do you live? And you give them the address and they kind of look at you again. (laughs) One of those. And yet that was the unlikely place where God put us. And it was from that place that God launched my wife and myself into full-time ministry. How unlikely. And I didn't see it. So let me ask you tonight, where are you finding yourself? Obscurity, hostility, isolation. Let me just tell you, this was the very place where Jesus himself showed up. And if he did it once, he can do it for you.